This program is a production of the Reformed Forum, online at reformedforum.org. This is Reformed Classics, audio productions of classic Reformed works. Today we're continuing our presentation of John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, translated by Henry Beveridge. Book 1, Chapter 11, Sections 13 whether it is expedient to have images in Christian temples. 14. Absurd defense of the worship of images by the second so-called Council of Nice, sophisms or perversions of Scripture and defense of images in churches. 15. Passages adduced in support of the worship of images. And 16. The blasphemous expressions of some ancient idolaters approved by not a few of the more modern, both in word and deed. Section 13 But, without reference to the above distinction, let us here consider whether it is expedient that churches should contain representations of any kind, whether of events or human forms. First, then, if we attach any weight to the authority of the ancient church, let us remember that for five hundred years, during which religion was in a more prosperous condition and a purer doctrine flourished, Christian churches were completely free from visible representations. See the preface in Book 4, Chapter 9, Section 9. Hence their first admission as an ornament to churches took place after the purity of the ministry had somewhat degenerated. I will not dispute as to the rationality of the grounds on which the first introduction of them proceeded, but if you compare the two periods, you will find that the latter had greatly declined from the purity of the times when images were unknown. What, then, are we to suppose that those holy fathers, if they had judged the thing to be useful and salutary, would have allowed the church to be so long without it? Undoubtedly, because they saw very little or no advantage and the greatest danger in it, they rather rejected it intentionally and on rational grounds than omitted it through ignorance or carelessness. This is clearly attested by Augustine in these words, When images are thus placed aloft in seats of honor to be beheld by those who are praying or sacrificing, though they have neither sense nor life, yet from appearing as if they had both, they affect weak minds just as if they lived and breathed, etc., And again, in another passage, in Psalm 112, he says, The effect produced, and in a manner extorted, by the bodily shape, is that the mind, being itself in a body, imagines that a body, which is so like its oven, must be similarly affected, etc. A little farther on, he says, Images are more capable of giving a wrong bent to an unhappy soul from having mouth, eyes, ears, and feet, than of correcting it, as they neither speak, nor see, nor hear, nor walk. This undoubtedly is the reason why John, 1 John 5.21, enjoins us to beware, not only of the worship of idols, but also of idols themselves. And from the fearful infatuation under which the world has hitherto labored, almost to the entire destruction of piety, We know too well from experience that the moment images appear in churches, idolatry has, as it were, raised its banner, because the folly of manhood cannot moderate itself, but forthwith falls away to superstitious worship. 
even were the danger less imminent. Still, when I consider the proper end for which churches are erected, it appears to me more unbecoming their sacredness than I well can tell. To admit any other images than those living symbols which the Lord has consecrated by his own word. I mean baptism and the Lord's Supper, with the other ceremonies. By these our eyes ought to be more steadily fixed, and more vividly impressed, than to require the aid of any images which the wit of man may devise. Such, then, is the incomparable blessing of images, a blessing, the want of which, if we believe the papists, cannot possibly be compensated. Section 14. Enough, I believe, would have been said on this subject were I not in a manner arrested by the Council of Nice, not the celebrated council which Constantine the Great assembled, but one which was held eight hundred years ago by the orders and under the auspices of the Empress Irene. This council decreed not only that images were to be used in churches, but also that they were to be worshipped. Everything, therefore, that I have said is in danger of suffering great prejudice from the authority of this synod. To confess the truth, however, I am not so much moved by this consideration as by a wish to make my readers aware of the lengths to which the infatuation has been carried by those who had a greater fondness for images than became Christians. But let us first dispose of this matter. Those who defend the use of images appeal to that synod for support. But there is a refutation extant which bears the name of Charlemagne, and which is proved by its style to be a production of that period. It gives the opinions delivered by the bishops who were present, and the arguments by which they supported them. John, deputy of the Eastern Churches, said, God created man in his own image, and thence inferred that images ought to be used. He also thought there was a recommendation of images in the following passage, Show me thy face, for it is beautiful. Another, in order to prove that images ought to be placed on altars, quoted the passage, No man, when he has lighted a candle, putteth it under a bushel. Another, to show the utility of looking at images, quoted a verse of the Psalms, The light of thy countenance, O Lord, has shone upon us. Another laid hold of this similitude, as the patriarchs used the sacrifices of the Gentiles, so ought Christians to use the images of saints instead of the idols of the Gentiles. They also twisted to the same effect the words, Lord, I have loved the beauty of thy house. But the most ingenious interpretation was the following, As we have heard, so also have we seen. Therefore God is known not merely by the hearing of the word, but also by the seeing of images. Bishop Theodore was equally acute. God, says he, is to be admired in his saints. And it is elsewhere said, to the saints who are on earth. Therefore this must refer to images. In short, their absurdities are so extreme that it is painful even to quote them. Section 15 When they treat of adoration... Great stress is laid on the worship of Pharaoh, the staff of Joseph, and the inscription which Jacob set up. In this last case, they not only pervert the meaning of Scripture, but quote what is nowhere to be found. Then the passages worship at his footstool, worship in his holy mountain. The rulers of the people will worship before thy face. 
seemed to them very solid and opposite proofs, were one with the view of turning the defenders of images into ridicule, to put words into their mouths. Could they be made to utter greater and grosser absurdities? But to put an end to all doubt on the subject of images, Theodosius, bishop of Myra, confirms the propriety of worshipping them by the dreams of his archdeacon which he adduces with as much gravity as if he were in possession of a response from heaven. Let the patrons of images now go and urge us with the decree of the synod, as if the venerable fathers did not bring themselves into utter discredit by handling scripture so childishly, or resting it so shamefully and profanely. Section 16 I come now to monstrous impieties which it is strange that I ventured to utter, and twice strange that all men did not protest against with the utmost detestation. It is right to expose this frantic and flagitious extravagance, and thereby deprive the worship of images of that gloss of antiquity in which papists seek to deck it. Theodosius Bishop of Amora fires oft an anathema at all who object to the worship of images. Another attributes all the calamities of Greece and the East to the crime of not having worshipped them. Of what punishment, then, are the prophets, apostles, and martyrs worthy, in whose day no images existed? They afterwards add that if the statue of the emperor is met with odors and incense, much more are the images of saints entitled to the honor. Constantius, bishop of Constantia in Cyprus, professes to embrace images with reverence, and declares that he will pay them the respect which is due to the ever-blessed Trinity. Every person refusing to do the same thing, he anathematizes and classes with Marcionites and Manichees. Lest you should think this the private opinion of an individual, they all assent. Nay, John the Eastern Legate, carried still farther by his zeal, declares it would be better to allow a city to be filled with brothels than be denied the worship of images. At last it is resolved with one consent that the Samaritans are the worst of all heretics, and that the enemies of images are worse than the Samaritans. But that the play may not pass off without the accustomed plaudite. The whole thus concludes... Rejoice and exult, ye who, having the image of Christ, offer sacrifice to it. Where is now the distinction of Latria and Dulia, with which they would throw dust in all eyes, human and divine? The council unreservedly relies as much on images as on the living God. (laughs) 